Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the NBA, Formula One, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 187. SB Nation has a couple weird rules videos out there. I'm sure some of you have seen these, and they have one specifically about goaltending in the NFL. Rule 12, Section 3, Part 1 states that goaltending by a defensive player leaping up to deflect a kick as it passes above the crossbar of a goalpost. Referee may award three points for a palpably unfair act per Rule 12-3-4. If you don't decided to go watch the SB Nation video, it's all because Kansas City drafted this really tall guy named Morris Stroud, and he tried to do that, and they said, no, we're going to make a rule specifically saying that you cannot goaltend. And that's all fine and well. But I started going through the college rule book uh, earlier this week, looking for some 2022 rule changes, and I didn't see anything related to that in the college rule book. So I was like, okay, is this legal, right? So after some more digging, it seems like the NCAA has already like kind of prevented this by just finding batting a loose ball in the end zone as being illegal, which to me seems much more logical than putting a specific rule in the NFL rulebook that, sa- that says you can't at a ball to, you know, you can't goaltend, right? Why not just say you can't but, bat the ball in the end zone? But, but, but is that a... Does the rule say you can't bat a ball in the end zone or that you can't bat a loose ball in the end zone? Is a kick a loose ball? A kick is a loose ball by definition. Okay. It's not a fumble, but a loose ball is any ball that's not in player possession. So even like a pass technically is a loose ball. Okay. And the rule, the NCAA rule says, while it passes in flight, only a player who is eligible to touch the ball may bat it in any, in any direction. Um, but part B says that no player shall bat loose ball forward in the field of play or in any direction if it's in the end zone and a ball that crosses the the plane of the goal line of course is in the end zone so so does that rule mean that i can't tip a ball in the end zone like if it deflects off my hands what how is batting defined how is batting different than bobbling or that's a really good question so batting is uh let me pull the rule it's intentionally striking or changing the direction of the ball with your hand or arm. When in question, the ball is accidentally touched rather than batted. Reading the rule more thoroughly. This is okay. This is the NCAA's fault because they didn't format the rules right. Rule 9, Section 4, Article 1, Subpart A, I thought was an article heading. So Subpart A says, while a pass is in flight, only a player who is eligible to touch the ball may bat it in any direction. Section C says that no player shall bat other loose balls, therefore precluding A, which means that you can bat a pass, but not a kick in the end zone. Gotcha. Okay. This is just bad formatting. If I send you a screenshot of this rule, you all should go look it up. NCAA rulebook is free to download. It is. I've got it up right now. Rule 9, Section 4, Article 1. I think subpart A should be on a new line because that was confusing. I'm trying to find that rule. Section 4, Article 1. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, illegal batting, 10 yards loss of down by the offense. Yep. Okay. Question answered. Okay. There you anyway, go. Would, Thank you. Like, yeah. How, how does the NFL have a specific rule on that when the NCAA can just handle it with an all-encompassing illegal batting rule? Did, did the NCAA, did the NFL have to react immediately and then the NCAA, you know, had time to figure it out and fix it? I don't know. Anyway, we'll give you a short break from the rules. You're going to be getting a triple dose of, of rules this week. Um, and we'll fill you in on some Cyclone football news here um, before we dive back into more rules. Um, we are now a little under two weeks away from the season opener against, what is it, Southeast Louisiana State? Southeast no. Missouri State? Missouri Southeast, State. yeah. Missouri. Okay. Southeast Missouri State. I was close. They're both on I-35. No, um, I-35 doesn't no. go through Louisiana, does it? Okay. They're both Southeast. Yeah, exactly. They're both states. Not all schools named state are actually state. Anyway, we're less than two weeks from the opener. Stay tuned next week for our Cyclone football season preview episode. I'm really looking forward to that one. It's always a good one. But in the meantime, it was uh, the preseason All-America teams were announced today. The Cyclones did have one 
one member of those teams was uh, past rusher Will McDonald. First team, a right? He was first team preseason yep. All-American? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the question will be, can they get him any help? But Will McDonald is going to be a force to be reckoned with on that defensive front. So worth keeping an eye on and, and a well-deserved honor from him. I think he's, if he can stay healthy, he's going to have a big year. Anybody else have any college football notes? Otherwise, I'm going to throw it back to Wyatt to talk more about rules and specifically the rule changes for this year in college football. That That's all I got. Obviously, we'll cover more next week, too. Absolutely, we will. But we do have some rule changes going into the season. Nothing too crazy, but we'll go over a couple of the ones that you might actually see in the season and then a couple of just the editorial changes that probably won't matter. But, I mean, you never know. It's college football. Number one, and the one that you'll probably see most often being a little bit different, is that defensive holding is now always an automatic first down. This was not always the case. There, uh, It only used to be an automatic first down. If the foul was on an eligible receiver that was beyond the neutral zone and a legal forward pass crossed the neutral zone. So defensive holding, uh, let's say a wide receiver was held downfield and it was a run play, that would just be a normal, what, five, 10-yard penalty? Five-yard penalty, whatever it is for defensive holding. In this case, it's an automatic first down and the yardage penalty for everything. Not, nothing specific. So now you can't feel smart anymore by knowing that that's the only way that the automatic first down can be granted for defensive holding. Now it's just for everything. We, so we talked about, about this on Mike's Stupid Rules near the end of the college football season last year because it happened in the Iowa-Nebraska game around Thanksgiving last year. Yes, we did. It was, the quarterback ended up running the ball right? Like scrambling for positive yardage, like a yard or two. Um, and the penalty did not grant an automatic first down. If you would have thrown the ball away, it's an automatic first down because he ran for yards. He didn't get it and they ended up having to punt that drive. Anyway, I like this change personally. I agree. Uh, it makes it much more simple to watch and to officiate. And really it just makes more sense. Why have this many exclusions here? Number two, which I, I think is kind of this is more of an editorial change in my mind, but uh, a ball carrier simulating a slide will now be treated as an actual slide. To me, this was already in the rule book. It was just interpreted incorrectly with the whole Kenny Pickett saga last year. Very similar interpretation to when you're taking a knee, but your knee doesn't touch the ground all the way. It's the act of simulating taking a knee that, de- that declares the ball dead. They have now codified this in the rule that says if you simulate a feet forward slide, the ball is dead at that spot more Kenny Pickett slides in the ACC championship. Another one, which isn't too important for like our D1 stuff, but for some of the, the lower level games, um, FCS, D2, D3, low blocking is allowed only in the tackle box. The tackle box is defined as the neutral zone, five yards to the left or right of the ball, and then all the way back to the offensive team's end line. So all the way through the, the end zone as well to the end line. In the tackle box, the offensive lineman can block low any direction after the snap. So immediately after the snap, um, they can't sit there and wait five seconds and go for a low block to the side, for example. Any offensive lineman or stationary backs in the tackle box can block low to the front anytime. They can't block to, to the sides uh, low unless, again, it's immediately after the snap. Anybody outside the tackle box or in the tackle box and in motion um, cannot low block at any point in time. And for the defense, anybody inside the tackle box can block low in any direction, only immediately after the snap. Questions on that one? L- low blocking, um, in my mind anyway, is really only advantageous for smaller linemen that get an advantage from blocking low. So this still allows some of those lower level players to get blocks that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get uh, if you're getting trucked. So basically, you can only block in the tackle, low block in the tackle box, and only immediately, essentially. Pretty much. And you can block anytime to the front if you were in the tackle box at the snap and not moving. Yeah. Originally, it was like within five yards of the neutral zone, I think, all the way across the sideline. So you could have like tight ends doing low blocks or wide receivers doing low blocks. I don't know why you would want that, but I, I don't either. But that was the rule, and this is now the rule change. It kind of makes it simpler to officiate in my mind. You know, you just have the tackle box. Were they in motion at the snap? And then is it a uh, low block to the side after the snap? Cool. 
This is a pretty rare one. I don't think we'll ever see this, but an unsportsmanlike conduct that happens during a pass play, so a live ball unsportsmanlike conduct, will now be enforced from the succeeding spot rather than from the previous spot. So think of it this way. The ball is snapped. Ball's in the quarterback's hands. He throws the ball. While the pass is in flight or anywhere between here while the ball is live, somebody on the defense commits an unsportsmanlike conduct foul. Ball is caught. After that, previously before this rule change, the offended team, in this case the, the offense, can either accept the penalty and get 15 yards from uh, the previous the previous spot or decline the penalty to take their yardage. So if that pass was more than 15 yards, it's not advantageous to get that penalty. This rule change now allows you to accept that penalty and get 15 yards from where the ball was caught or wherever the ball ended up at the end of the play. So, so this doesn't apply to roughing the passer, right? Because you could always get both on roughing the passer previously, right? That is not an unsportsmanlike conduct foul. Right, okay. That is a, uh, that's a personal foul. Okay. So this would be like ripping a guy's helmet off and hitting him with it, or... Or probably just ripping a guy's helmet off. You wouldn't have to hit yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct. Yeah, you're right. Or punching it officially. You go up and punch the umpire or something. I don't know. That would be a live ball unsportsmanlike, which doesn't happen very often at all. Usually you see unsportsmanlike conducts after the play is over during a dead ball period, right? Fights break out, people get shoving or something. It's mm-hmm. pretty rare to see a live ball. And to see a live ball in between when the ball is snapped to when the ball is caught, extremely rare. But this just kind of tightens up one of those loopholes in the rules. Everything else that I have will run through pretty quick because it's pretty much just editorial changes or things that you'll never see. But just in case your favorite color commentator starts to talk about it during your game, you'll already know about this because of the 8311 cast. These are in order of, in my opinion, how likely they are to occur, which for all of these is very unlikely. But illegal touching of a forward pass by an originally ineligible player now results in a loss of down and a five-yard penalty. So when I say an originally ineligible player, I mean like a lineman or anybody numbered 50 through 79 who is not ever eligible catch the ball during the play if they touch the ball or or catch the ball this is a five-yard penalty and a loss of down this does not mean that it's a loss of down if say a wide receiver steps out of bounds he's now ineligible but he was originally eligible at the snap that would just be a normal five-yard penalty for illegal touching no loss of down if a player is disqualified for targeting in the second half of a game the school can appeal to the coordinator of officials for the ncaa And if he deems that the player should not have been disqualified, and the wording on this is clearly obvious, the player should not have been disqualified, and uh, that individual can actually vacate the disqualification for the first half of the player's next game. So if there's a huge mistake for some reason, and the player gets DQ'd in the second half, they can still play the start of the next game if it was pretty much an egregiously wrong call. I have a hard time believing this will ever be used. Right. I think this is good, but again... Are they ever going to admit they were egregiously wrong? I don't think so. Yeah, this will be like the pass interference thing in the NFL, where even though they review it, they're like, hmm, I think we were right anyway. And then they'll just let it keep happening. I would agree. One difference here is the coordinator for officials in the NCAA is so far removed from the crews on the field, you might be more likely to see a change here. Like It's not like a direct chain of command from the conference officials to the NCAA coordinator of officials. So... Since there's more of a disconnect there, you might see something. I don't know. If we do, it's most likely not going to be an FBS. There was also a rule that it ended up being tabled, but there was a rule change that said you had to have your entire leg covered by either pants or socks. This was supposed to be mandated for FBS this year, FCS in 2023, and then D1, D2, or sorry, D2, D3 in 2024. Apparently, like the biker shorts vibe was a bad look for football or something. and. This was supposed to go into the rule book this year, and it was like just recently tabled. I don't know what they were thinking, but if anybody starts talking about the uniform changes and blah, 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 it didn't actually happen. What a weird thing to spend time on. Like, I don't want to see those knees. Get that out of here. I mean, it's well, it's like the NFL and their uh, crop top jerseys because they got sick of Ezekiel Elliott, right? That's that's fair, yeah. What's weird is they actually like eliminated a, a, a safety related rule that your knee pads have to actually cover your knees with this. Hmm. In, in high school, for example, you have to have knee pads that cover your knees. 
and, and in college currently, I think that's the rule as well. But this essentially nicks that rule because you can just cover your, you can just wear like tie high socks. There's no provision on covering your knees with knee pads. Oh. Quote unquote, fake injuries have another level of review. Currently, what happens is if you have a fake injury or an injury that's deemed to be fake, uh, you can appeal that decision to the NCAA. Now, the rule change is that if the NCAA says, no, it's a fake injury, you can go to your conference and then say, hey, this wasn't a fake injury. And then they can appeal that. Uh, go ask your mom. Go ask your dad. Go ask your mom. I don't see how this does any change. But what, what, what is the punishment? Uh, there isn't one. So who cares? Exactly. A rule without a consequence isn't a rule. It's not even a rule. Like I said, these are editorial changes. Like, why would you even? I don't know. I love fake injuries. It's so dumb. It's so bad. Like, let's not. And it's almost always blatantly obvious. We also have this penalty adjustment. The rule didn't change, but the penalty changed. If you give a fair catch signal and then don't touch the ball and then go block somebody, that's a foul. They changed the penalty from this from 15 yards to 10 yards. I've never even seen this happen. I've seen this one before. It happens on, really? punt, on punts near the end zone, right? If the punt returner is in between, you know, fair catching it and letting it bounce, hoping it goes in for a touchback, right? If they fair catch and then choose to let it bounce, you might want to block the first player down so he can't, like, down it. You've got to know not to block, though. If you give a fair catch, you can't block. Yeah, but that's where I've seen it happen. You said you've never seen it, and I'm just like, well, that's where I've seen it. I I have never seen that happen. We've also changed the definition of a defenseless player to expand. So, wow, that's not what my words meant to say. They've expanded expanded the definition of a defenseless player to include a player that is, quote-unquote, in passing posture with his focus downfield. Again, this was already the interpretation. This is how roughing the passer calls have been called, uh, but that's just now been codified in the rule. And then a, a bonus editorial change, the use of official-to-official official communications or the radios that the officials use on the field are now actually in the rule book as being allowed. Technically weren't allowed, I guess. Bonus fun fact, 2014 was the first year that the NFL actually used radios on the field. Did you know that? That is surprisingly recent. Very, very recent. 2013 is when the SEC first started two test crews. Like they, they assigned two different radios to two different crews working that season in 2013, or maybe it was 2014. And then it took off in 2015. But prior to that, there was no uh, O2O or official to official communication on the field. Hmm. I would bet they love that. They don't all have to run up together every before every game or every penalty, every play. So much less walking. I bet they love that. Absolutely. Question, what is passing posture specifically? Like dropped back with the ball up, right? And I think the, the key word there is focused downfield. So you're not looking well, can't for a Can't you blocker. sack a quarterback while they're in passing posture with the focus downfield? Why wouldn't you be able to sack someone that is in that posture, it wouldn't automatically be a defenseless player, right? So I think you only get the protection uh, where that matters is for targeting. You can sack a defenseless player with a safe tackle, but if it's unnecessary roughness, that would get into targeting. Well, you can never target somebody regardless of their passing posture or their focus, right? So why would that wording matter if it was already an illegal hit? Well, targeting, the definition of targeting is much stricter for non-defenseless players. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Forcible contact against a defenseless opponent would necessitate targeting. A sack would not be forcible contact, right? Well, I guess it's just with the crown of the helmet, so... Could be, but it isn't necessarily. Yeah, that's true. The expansion of this was from a player in the act of or just after throwing a pass to now also include the player in passing posture with focus downfield for whatever, for what it's worth. So it's already been basically in the rook, but here, here's the rule. Uh, no player shall target and make forcible contact to the head or neck area of a defenseless opponent. So if you make contact to the head or neck area of a non-defenseless opponent, it's not targeting. Does that make more sense? So if you go and like smack the quarterback on the head while they're in passing position, that's targeting. But if you go smack him on the head while he's running the ball downfield, that's not targeting. Sure. Okay. Are, are you guys on team we call too many targetings in college football, or are you on team you have to call everything that even closely resembles it to make sure the players are safe? Targeting rules are garbage. They need to rewrite them. Okay, I, I agree. We, I agree. 
And when you look at a targeting call in slow motion, everything looks like targeting. Yeah, we talked about this just a couple episodes ago. Yeah, slow did. motion removes all context. And I can understand doing it by the letter of the law, but sometimes it seems ridiculous. I agree. I think the law needs to change in this case. The, the, the definition of forcible contact is so ambiguous. And, and again, like, like you said, in slow motion, you can't, what's forcible contact? When you start putting like G meters and helmets or something, it actually wouldn't be a bad idea. Huh. But yeah, I don't know. Are those going to be reliable enough? I don't know. That was just the first thing that came to my to my mind. I really don't know how to solve the issue. I think the rules are bad, but I don't know what to change them to. Oh, that's fair. Something to think about, though, for sure. Those are all of the uh, 2022 NCAA college football rule changes I have for you. There's a couple other small editorial things, but we already kind of went to the nitty gritty here. We're not going to keep going. That's all I got. Well, thank you, Wyatt. We appreciate that. Um, just getting you, getting you in the mood for college football. And there are some games that actually start this weekend. The Cyclones don't. But I know, for example, uh, Nebraska plays Northwestern this weekend, I'm pretty sure, in Ireland on top of it. Um, anyway, so if you want your football fix, keep an eye on that. Uh, Ian, you get some news out of the NBA for us? Yeah, just a little tiny bit of news out of the NBA. Um, LeBron James agreed to a two-year, $97.1 million contract dollar contract extension that includes a player option for the 2024-2025 season. Um, It's kind of a big deal because people had already started speculating what LeBron wants to do. Obviously, the Lakers were quite bad last year. Um, I think they'll be pretty mediocre this year, in my opinion. I don't think they did enough to improve to guarantee a spot in the playoffs with how stacked the West is. Um, So he basically shut down that media circus for this year, which is good for team focus. And then the other reason that this matters and the reason people want to talk about uh, LeBron James's son, Bronny James, uh, will be NBA eligible in the year 2024. So this kind of syncs up his timeline to what he has already previously stated as he would like to play in the NBA on the same team with his son. Now, granted, He may not be ready after just one year of college. So then that's kind of where that player option comes in, whether LeBron wants to angle himself a little bit earlier or a little bit later. So the question I have for you guys, if he's not super ready, Bronny, after one year, do you think he comes out anyway? And how high do teams draft him just to think they can get LeBron? I've been thinking about it a lot whenever I see stories come up and I don't know what the right answer is. Got to depend on how well the team is positioned to accept LeBron and his son if it puts them in contention, right? I mean, a team, a team that's that that's out of it, like you know, Cleveland was a couple years ago uh, after LeBron left. Would they draft Bronny that early and hope to get LeBron back? And then those would be the two pieces that they would need to be a a playoff team. I I don't think so, right? Is LeBron even going to be an asset by 2024? He wasn't particularly good and healthy last year. Oh, he was really good last year. He was just not very healthy. The question, I agree, Mike, is how good will he be? And then the other thing you're forgetting, Kyle, I think is called sales. Ticket sales, jersey sales. Especially if he says this is my last season and it's with my kid. I don't care if I'm in contention or not. I'm about to make all the money in the NBA right now. That's a lot of and bank. then and then do they make a, a jersey mashup between the two of them? You know, James with both numbers on it. Yeah. And I, I've i argued that's this the first people. that would be the first time in NBA history. Am I am I wrong in saying that? No, you are correct. That would be the first time in NBA history that a, a father son duo has played together. And I have I've argued this with people before. Is it a good thing? For LeBron James to ex- utilize his muscle, basically, to get his son where he needs to go, even if it's above where he would normally go, or is that setting him up for failure and he shouldn't do that? I say use everything you got, get your kid a paycheck as much as you can, but I, I don't know. I, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Arguably, Bronny is not the best prospect in the James family. That would be Bryce James. He's already six foot six, and he's like, 14. So just something to keep an eye on down the line, but that's all I got for you so far. Interesting. I'm sure you will keep us up to date on all of that. One more, one more thing on that. Is that Bronny James being 
one year in the G League, probably. Uh, he is looking at college. He, I don't think he's planning on going G League. Okay. Everything I've seen says he's going to college. Um, there's been a lot of reports saying Oregon is in the lead, but LeBron tweeted, uh, he hasn't even taken any visits. When he decides where he wants to go, he'll tell you. So I don't know that there's really any news on it, but it doesn't appear he's looking at the G League right now. I wouldn't mind a one and done on the Iowa State roster. I, you know, you got a question. He has all the money in the world, obviously. So what's the point of G League versus college? He doesn't need the paycheck and he can just go be a god for a year on a campus. Who wouldn't and, want to do that? And he can sign an NIL deal, too. Exactly. For probably more than you would make in the G League. You can go hang out with a bunch of college students. I don't know. I, I would not want uh, Brownie James on Iowa State's roster. Oh, I would 100% Just take that. that. I want the publicity. That's so I much booster want... money. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Can you imagine the NIL funding forever after that? That would bump our profile up so much. Dude, he could be the spokesman for Ames Ford, just like his dad being the uh, spokes driver for Hummer. I don't know what you call that. The these are the crab commercial. The Hummer driving yeah. sideways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could be where, like that. For Ames where Ford. the wheels turn like ten percent, and I'm like, <laughs> just turn the car, man. Just turn it. They'll do the same thing. But it yeah, but it can crab walk. Barely. I need to see a lot more wheel tilt before I'm impressed. You need them at a ninety at a ninety degree angle, preferably. Uh, that would be cool. Well, it's three to one. So if Bronny James is basing it off a vote here, we'll take him. Only Mike doesn't like it because he's too much of a traditionalist. Bronny, you're welcome in Cyclone Nation for the media circus. I'm anti fun. No fun. Anti fun. Well, what isn't anti fun though is Formula One, and we're back. Formula One returns. It is indeed race week. Uh, Spa is up this weekend. The Belgium Grand Prix uh, presented by Rolex. Mike, you can punch me whenever. Uh, Noted. The Spa Franco. I don't know how you pronounce it. Franco Chomps. There there it is. Um, So the weather forecast early. Obviously, this is as we record on Monday. It looks like it's going to be a wet weekend. Uh, Saturday and Sunday are both predicting uh, cold. Um, for Belgium this time of year, uh, 22 degrees Celsius, and uh, it's going to be very rainy as well. So look out for that. Uh, these might not even come into uh, contention here. Um, the C2, Pirelli did announce this weekend they're going to be doing the C2 as the hard, uh, C3 as the medium, and C4 as the soft. Um, I say they might not come into contention as... Uh, they might be running inter- intermediate, intermediate or wet tires all weekend, depending on how much rain there is. So very, very interesting. Uh, when Pirelli announced uh, what tires and they were going to uh, send for this weekend, um, it, it's obviously it's, so it's on an 18 inch tire, but the the minimum starting tire pressure is what they announced, which can obviously change after fp2 as a part of the fia regulations but they announced that the front tire pressure well i'll start with the rear that the rear tire pressure would be 22 and a half and that the front tire pressure would be 215 psi um that will not be the case uh they they're not going to be running on a tire at 215 psi as they would be skating all over the road so uh look for 21.5 psi uh on those front tires as well it is a little bit of a longer, uh, one of the longer tracks um, uh, for the season. Uh, the previous lap record was set by Valtteri Bottas in 2018 at 1 minute 46.2. So that is, um, yeah, that's what we're looking at. It's going to be a 44 lap race. Formula One is the worst because they want to drop Spa off of the schedule because there's other tracks that make more money than Spa does, but Spa is like the classic Formula One racetrack, and I think it's garbage that they want to drop it from the schedule in hey, the next I think years. Spa Spa is up there with Silverstone. St- Silverstone, right? Well, Silverstone was the very first Formula One race back in 1950. Like, right. And they, they also talked about dropping that at, at one point, but... I don't know what they're doing. Obviously, they want to expand into more countries to grow the fan base even more. But do that and get rid of 
I don't know. The Miami Grand Prix this year was kind of a flop. At least put the boats in water, you know? Don't put them in this fake hard gel compound thing that they put them in. I agree. It's stupid. Like Mike Ariane, if I showed you a picture of Eau Rouge or um, Redallion, I think was the, the two turns that it goes into. That is like classic formula. You would probably recognize seeing a, a picture similar to that for Formula 1. But they want to drop it off. And I mentioned 1950 is the first race in Silverstone. They, they've raced it in Silverstone prior to that. And Spa, for example, they had the first race in like 1925 or 26 or something. Like, And they want to drop some of this from the schedule. So make sure you watch the Belgian Grand Prix because it could potentially be one of the last races at Spa you see in Formula One. Even though if it was, I'd be very disappointed. What's our, what's our times for this? I'd say how early in the morning are we going to have to get up to watch this? Yeah, because last time I said I was going to watch when I was sleeping, so I lied. Um, so this weekend, obviously, uh, practice uh, FP1 and FP2 are going to be um, on Friday. Uh, so those times are, pulling it up right now, uh, practice is going to be, FP1 is going to be, oh gosh, these are in Belgium time. The, the important one, the important one is race day. Sunday, Sunday, 8 a.m. for the actual race. While Kyle pulls up FP1. FP2. Terrible. Yeah, 8 a.m. for the race on Sunday. Uh, qualifying on Saturday is 9 a.m. Uh, FP1 on Friday is going to be 7 a.m. FP2 is 10 a.m. <laughs> and FP3 is a bright and early 6 a.m. on Saturday. Ooh, buddy. That sounds fun. For what it's worth, I almost only watch race day and watch recaps for FP1, 2, 3, and qualifying. Correct. I so, I sometimes tune into qualifying. Um, I at least try and catch Q3 if I can. So there's, there's Q, on, yeah. Q1, 2, and 3. Um, you obviously dwindle down the drivers that advance all the way into Q3 with only 10 drivers going in Q3. Um, but... If I'm available to watch that, I do. And then obviously I watch the race live if I can, or I stay off my phone and um, record it on the cloud. So go back and watch it later. Ooh, the cloud. The cloud. The cloud. It's imaginary. So there you have it. There's Spa. 8 a.m. Sunday. Be there. Central. Correct. Like, tune in. Central Don't time. be there. Unless you want to go there, I guess. I mean, I, mean, I would rather be there be than there. watch it on my TV. It's going to be cold and rainy. Yeah, I was going to say, if I'm waking up that early, I'd rather be in a foreign country than sitting in my living room. Also, just checking a quick check. They don't have any tickets available on the F1 website, so uh, you won't be able to get in. If you show up with enough I mean, you could just tell them you're a you're a famous podcast host from the Midwest and they should give you a press pass. There you go. Where? Hospitality (laughs) pass. Yeah. Yeah. Media. Uh huh. Let's just mm-hmm. make media passes and see if we can get in stuff. Can't be that hard, right? Act well, like you belong. Probably is. I want to sit in the Jack Trice press box this year. Christian Kirchner sees us walking down around the field, all four of us with press passes on, and he's like, <laughs> what are they doing? Get these guys out of here. Why get us that? I don't think I have that authority. You have inside leverage. Uh, not that much. I have you much less people. leverage than you think. You touch stuff in the stadium. I do, I do do that. You are correct. Get us some passes, my friend. I'll uh, I'll see what I can do. Well, thank you. Write Wyatt. that down. Pre- write that down. Prediction. Why it's gonna <laughs> get us some press passes. Immediately wrong. Home run. Yeah, I'm not gonna put that one down. You're lucky we're not in that segment because if you give a prediction during the segment, it's on the board whether or not you meant it. <laughs> we're not quite there yet, though. We're uh, we're just in Mike's stupid rules. Um, Today, we're going to talk about something interesting that happened in a minor league game. Couple, two interesting plays, actually, and we're going to compare and contrast them. So the first one is a play that happened. Um, it was a, a hard line drive to left field, and the ball literally punched a hole in the padding of the wall and lodged in that padding. Um Now, this is covered under rule 5.5A7. Is that right? Yeah, 5.5A7 is what this rule is under. And that says, any fair ball which either before or after touching the ground, which sticks in a fence or scoreboard, 
um, in which case the batter and the runners shall be entitled to two bases. So essentially it's a ground rule double. That's one pretty straightforward. The key here is um, um, sticks, right? Lodges. It has to be actually stuck there. So just because it doesn't bounce off the way you expect doesn't mean it's stuck there. This applies more to like if it gets stuck like under the fence, like in between the fence and the dirt. Like just because it doesn't bounce off true doesn't necessarily mean it's lodged. There's a little bit of a, a, a gray area there and that's umpire's discretion. But in this case, it's pretty, pretty black and white. It was lodged there. Quick question. I see this, I wouldn't say frequently, but I do see this pretty often in the vines at Wrigley. Like, yes, it does specifically say vines are especially vines are um, as well specifically included in this rule. I I I uh I took out the middle part of this rule. The whole rule um is say passes through or under a fence, through or under a scoreboard, through any opening in the fence or scoreboard, or through or under shrubbery or vines on the fence, uh, or which sticks in a fence or scoreboard is the whole rule. I skipped most of it because it didn't apply. Uh, but there is a specific part of that rule for the Wrigley Field vine. Yes. Very good. Yeah, you mentioned just fences and scoreboards. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yes, it does does cover the the vines as well on Wrigley Field. Um, and the other one I want to talk about is it's happened in a minor league game where the batter hit the ball right in front of home plate, and it literally spun itself into the dirt. It didn't bounce. It just sort of spun itself into the dirt. Now, in this case, um, you're not of that rule, again, because it only talks about shrubbery, vines, fence, or scoreboard, right? So in that case, the ball was not lodged under any of those things. So presuming that ball stopped in fair territory, which in this case it did, it, it's a fair ball. Now, it brings up the interesting question of what happened if that ball dug itself so hard into the ground that the catcher couldn't pick it up, right? Things like that. In that case, um, you could go to rule 8.01, which let me pull that up here. Sorry, I didn't have that up. Rule 8.01, which says, I went past it in my rule book. Hold on. 8.01 says that... Um, Way to go. Um, that the essentially that the uh, uh, 801C, the umpire's authority to rule on any point not specifically covered in the rules. So there the umpire could be like, no, that's not right. That's not fair. The batter can't just run around the entire bases while the catcher tries to find a shovel to dig the ball out of the ground. Um, so in that case, the umpire could make a ruling um, in order to... Um, either call the runner out or just give them first base or something like that. It could be umpire's discretion. But that case is not specifically covered in the rules. So there you go. Any questions on that? You needed that book in the movie Airbud that gives the referee the discretion to just kind of do what's right. Yes. If, the, if it's not in the rules, the official can just do what makes sense. But only if it doesn't say in the rules. Yeah, that's true. So you can't just do what you think is right because you disagree with the rule. The rule has to not be in the book. All right. Um, so moving right along to our accountability session as we do. And now be careful, Ariane. We are in our write that down prediction segment. So, so watch what you say there. Noted. Um, but uh, only one prediction come off the board this week, and it is for me. I predicted that Ariane and I would play for the Fantasy Baseball Championship Ariane is not holding up his end of the deal. He is eliminated from playoff contention with two weeks left in the regular season. Um, so, uh, yeah, that I am wrong. So I get a... Nah. Nah. I mean, for the record, I'm probably not going to make the playoffs either. But, you know, Ariane failed first. So I'm going to blame him. That's fair. And as we shift here from fantasy baseball season to fantasy football season, I'm going to start uh, getting a prediction up on the board. Um, I'm going to say that I make the playoffs in our saxophone fantasy football league. Um, there are 14 players, and we're going to have seven playoff teams. I'm saying I'm going to be one of the seven. I would Single. agree with you. Single. <laughs> Single. Yeah, I'm fine with that. 50-50 shot, even if you say everybody's equal. So that yeah, seems right. Which they are. And, so. and Mike is generally very well adept at playing fantasy sports. Agreed. He does a good job. 
I, I, I make a fair amount of money off fantasy football in a given year. About $3,000 a year. No, more like 80. Thousand? Wow. Oh, that's really bad on your taxes. I don't, I don't, don't get those, those, uh, those 30,000 new IRS agents on my case. I don't want it. Coming after <laughs> you. We have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He's still alive. He's still doing good. Um, he is going to hedge his bets on a prediction that he made a couple weeks ago. Um, and now he's going to say that the Brewers will make the playoffs somehow. A couple weeks ago, he predicted that they would not make the playoffs. What did we give this last time? A single or a double? Um, when he said they would not, we gave him a double. That's what I thought. So this Even to though me the is numbers were much closer to a single. Yeah, this to me is a single. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. So before so this will be a single. Before we go any further, are we do we need to change the rules here to make like, hedging a prediction like this? Like predicting the exact opposite against the rules, right? Because otherwise I could just I, make two predictions we every should. week and say, yeah. Say I will make the fantasy football playoffs, and another one that says I won't make the fantasy football playoffs. Then I hit five hundred and I win every year. So I will yep. argue that this is already covered by our provision that we can reject a prediction. Well, sure, we could reject like, it, but we could just nip it at the bud and not even have to worry about it. So you're gonna write a new rule for goaltending, even though you already have a rule that prohibits it. Hey. Yes, because this time we don't need a majority, right? Then it's just in the rules. We don't need a majority of us to actually reject it. So. That's a good point. That's true. But yes, we're going to write a specific rule for goaltending instead of a generic rule that covers it. You're uh, absolutely the Brewers correct. Are, the Brewers are currently 1.5 games behind in the third wild card spot, by the way, behind the Philadelphia Phillies and then uh, the Padres and the Braves. The Braves look pretty locked in. The Padres, the yeah. Phillies, and the Brewers are pretty darn close to each other, all within two yeah. games. Yeah, they're all battling. So really hard to tell. But anyway, so if we may, we'll, we'll let since we didn't have the rule, are we going to let Josh yeah. make this prediction? This, or yeah, this, gonna... rule, this rule was not in the rules, obviously, before that prediction was made. So prediction has to stand. I agree. Shall Sounds stand. Good. We'll put Sounds it on, the, we'll put on we... the list. Shane. Yeah, you'll edit our official rules document. We will take a look at that before next week's episode. Thank you. My prediction is that Tom Brady will actually be on The Masked Singer. If you're not familiar with this, um, I was going to say conspiracy, but that's not quite the right term. It's close enough. We'll go with conspiracy. No, I feel like it is. It's a conspiracy. (laughs) Basically, Tom Brady missed training camp due to quote-unquote personal reasons. It came out earlier today that he was on vacation, allegedly, uh, and he is now back at training camp today on Monday. Filming for The Masked Singer wrapped up on Saturday. Give a day at travel for Sunday. Bang, he's back on Monday. He's going to be on The Masked Singer. I guess Wait, the question I have he, is when did it start? He, liter- he literally tweeted today that he was not on The Masked Singer. So That's what they well, wanted. Yeah, he, that. he also tweeted he was retiring. So That's true. And then he came back. When did footage start filming? I have no idea. Because that would be a big thing to know. Uh, I'll see if I can find it real quick if you want to keep discussing. And how did you, did you know, did somebody tweet today that filming stopped on Saturday or like this weekend? Um, I think they did have contestants that were talking about that. Yes. And they also schedule. I'm trying to find some more information for you. It seems unlikely. However, it would be really fun if it was true. I don't odds on this. I don't know how to put odds on it either. I don't either. There have been athletes before. Yep. There have been active athletes before. Rob Gronkowski did it. Antonio Brown did it. Antonio Brown did it. Because um, I watched like one episode of the show and I guessed retired, it was Antonio Brown immediately. <laughs> retired NFL quarterback did it. I'm blanking on who it was. He's on Fox football Sundays. Terry Bradshaw. Yes, Terry Bradshaw was on there. Sean Spicer was on there, so you can never rule anybody out. Dog the Bounty Hunter, too, I think. I've never watched a single episode of the show, though, to be fair. Like, I don't know how it works, but... They sing in masks. and then It's they t- more than masks. <laughs> it's like a whole costume. And then the and judges they- try to guess who they are, and then, like, you take it off, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's Tom Brady. 
That seems dumb. So like at least a triple, right? Oh my gosh, it's Wayne Brady, who everyone knew it was him. There's no way he's actually on the mass singer. Ain't no way. I need a home he run. Sing. Home run, baby. Home run? No, it's not a home run. Oh yeah. It is. Oh. What? Oh wow. Nah, uh, it's probably a home run. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the idea of it being true. Uh I, I don't know. Home run, why not? Sure, I'll give you a home run. Why not? I yeah. Don't. It'll be worth it if it's true. You can have it. <laughs> Thanks. What do you got, Kyle? So I have two this week. Um, first of them uh, is related to fantasy football. So I'm going to say that I end up on the wrong side of luck this season. So I'm top three in points for and also top three in points against. Top so I... three in points for and against. Correct. Mm, that's tough. I... Mm. Just randomly off the top of my head, I lean towards triple. That's what I vibes. I was thinking to triple. I give that a triple. So triple? A yeah. Triple it is. And then my second one, I'm going to say, so most of you probably don't know who this is, but I'm going to say that Paul Macbeth is going to have a top five finish at the 2022 PDGA Professional Disc Golf World Championships in Emporia, Kansas on August 30th to, to September 3rd. You going? So, Am I going? Yeah, I am poor. Is not that far away. Uh, let's see. Maybe I'll let you know. Okay, but sounds good. There's gonna be a lot of people there. Um, what so, do you define as a lot? Uh, how many is a lot for a disc a golf co- world championship? It's probably probably a couple thousand. Yeah, I would say two to three thousand. Maybe would probably show up for a weekend. Maybe mm-hmm. more. Go give us some feet on the ground. Get us some live like, footage. Like total you need an interview. Or- uh probably in a day especially on championship the the final championship sunday might might attract or i guess championship saturday might attract maybe five thousand. i mean it's it's the championships like this is it this is kind of what they're all going or um like going after so um so a little background on this for everyone on the podcast who doesn't follow disc golf as as well as maybe i have been for the last couple of months here so paul Macbeth is a five-time world champion um the last time uh that he won uh his world championship was uh let's see uh, uh 2019 was the last world championship that he won so it's been a few years uh since he's won one um this season to date he has three uh, major championship wins, including two in March and one in April. Uh, he's kind of been on the down slope since then. His current United States Tour rank is number two. Uh, he did just recently finish at the Des Moines um, Major Championship. Let me see. Uh, let me see what that one was. So basically, uh, it was like a top fifteen finish. So, so basically, you're saying the second best player in the world will win. Oh, we'll finish top five. Well, he was correct. Yeah. What, what do you want out of this? I want at least a, the bat. I want at least a double because it's four days worth of disc golf play like coverage. And he has been on the downside ever since the beginning of the season. So his ranking has fallen significantly since the beginning of the season. What, what's his ranking right now? Uh, his ranking right now is number two, but he was number one for most of the season. So and everyone significantly been, from one to two. Well, no, 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 no. So his overall disc golf rating. So disc golf rating is based on scratch scoring average. So scratch scoring average is the average of the course that you play compared to how well you play against the course average. So if you play, if you average a lower score than the course average, you'll have a rating over a thousand. If you play on the course average, you'll have a rating of a thousand. At the beginning of the season, he was playing closer to 1100, uh, which is like one of the best ratings that you could have on the Disc Golf Pro Tour. And now he's his current ranking is down to 1048. I'll give you a double. I was going to say, I'll default to you and assume you're not taking us for a ride, so I'll give a double. I'm fine with a double. And I'll just say, he hasn't had a top five finish since April. Uh, so. yeah, that seems like a double. It's not that long ago, April. What is it? It's August. Have happened they've, since then. They've played 
like 10 tournaments yeah, since then. It's been a lot. Oh, Summertime. That's, that's they, they, play, they play pretty much every single weekend during the summer. There's a oh, tournament. Okay. I'm fine with the double. That's all I was really wanting out of that. Fair enough. All right, all right, Adam, what about you? All right. So my first prediction is that for some reason, I'm really into the NFC North recently. Uh, I'm going to predict that the Lions and the Bears will end the season with a better combined record. We'll say the same or better combined record than the Vikings or Packers. <laughs> Vikings or and you have oh, sorry, and. Types. and. <laughs> so so like the combined record of the Bears and Vikings will be equal to or better than the combined record of the Vikings and Packers. Yes. So. This seems like a home run. Yeah, that that's absurd. Approximately gives the win totals to be around twelve point five to thirteen for the Lions and Bears combined, and about twenty games for the Vikings and Packers. This seems like a home run. I don't think we need to talk about it anymore. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, home run. Yeah, home run. All right, and I have a second prediction for this week as well. And it is that all four podcast hosts, not just Mike, will make the fantasy football playoffs. So four of those seven spots home run, baby. will be taken up by myself, Kyle, Mike, and then then Wyatt. Home run. There are a lot of strong it's, players in this it's league. It's not me. There are. A lot stronger than Wyatt is, yeah. <laughs> home run, baby. I'm this here to let you down. Run. This is a home run, very much so contingent on Wyatt and... Yeah. Oh how healthy my team stays because yes. Ariane's team is always at the top. Mike's team is always there too. And my team always seems to be sh- stricken by injuries throughout the season. Just out of curiosity, not that I'm going to make another prediction. What if I said myself, Mike and Kyle, we all three make the playoffs and didn't include Wyatt. Then what is it? Then, it would just, then it's just a triple, yeah, maybe a triple. only a double. I would say probably a, I would still say a triple. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether it'd be a double or a triple, but yeah, why it gets me over the edge there? Yeah, this yes, is a, he does. A home run out of the park into the lake. He hit the cycle this week with two singles, a double, two or one triple, and three home runs. I know how to math, which includes our write that down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening up to the 187 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around, getting learned up on three batches of rules. Gotta love it. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!